The theme of love one another, it, it's very basic, I know, and I recognize some of you might be starting to even feel it's a little repetitive. But on the other hand, I, I can't really consider that I've been successful in my work as a pastor among you uh, until the message actually starts to get through, until we start, or at least get better, at loving one another more deeply and more completely. And so this little survey we're doing is, is actually a part of that. So let's look back at our first message in this series, where we, we look at how Jesus reveals the Father's love to us, and, and that this revealed love challenges a lot of notions that we might have about what love is from our wider culture, or what any virtue is, actually. We moved on from there and talked a bit about the need to love one another sacrificially rather than superficially. And then we looked at loving one another by using our gifts that the Lord has given us in the context of, of sacrificial stewardship in order to love one another and bless one another and honor and bring glory to God. And last week, we looked at the need to love one another and that that means doing what's compelling rather than simply what's uh, convenient or comfortable. Today, we're going to look at what it means to abide in Jesus' love, to love one another out of that, and in turn, to bear fruit. And you know, the idea of abiding, or remaining, or, or staying put, it's not nearly such a normal and prominent thing in, in the world we live in, in the culture we live in, as it was in earlier ones, even just, just a generation or two ago, right? Ten years is now considered a pretty long time to stay in, in one community or one workplace. Uh, whereas, you know, not that long ago, 25 years was maybe a similar milestone. You know, I think of, I think of my grandmother. She lived the majority of her life within about six miles of where she was born. She was born, lived, died, was buried. It was, certainly if you extended that out to, say, 60 miles, it would almost be exclusively a life lived in that small little context. And you can say it was a different time, especially in rural Saskatchewan, and you'd be right. But even then and there, it wasn't like there weren't alternatives. Grandma had two older brothers who went overseas in the Second World War. They got a long way from home. They had a lot of adventures. They did a lot of pretty amazing things. And she told me once uh, that having been a young woman in those, those post-war years in the early 1950s, that she'd actually been really interested in a career as a flight attendant because air travel in, in those years was the newest and most glamorous thing that anyone could imagine. And she had thought that, that might actually be kind of an interesting thing to do, but, but she didn't. Uh, she married young and supported grandpa on the farm, which wasn't, which wasn't always easy given his struggles with alcohol, among other things. She took courses in painting and she got quite good painting many images of grain elevators, wheat fields, white-tailed deer, the things that were right there in her immediate surroundings. She walked in the pastures looking for artifacts left behind, and sometimes finding them, artifacts from the First Nations people that had lived there long before she had. She loved her kids and her grandkids and step-grandkids. Now that's not to say that staying close to the place you were born is, is necessarily any better or worse than a different choice you might make, or that it's the right thing for everybody. What I would say is this is probably a pretty good picture of what abiding looks like. 
We'll talk a little bit more about it as we go on. But to start with, it would be helpful if we've got in our minds abiding as sort of a, a settled decision to stay put, connected with Jesus, even when there are other alternatives that you could choose. And that that settled commitment to stay connected with Jesus leads to ongoing joy and love for one another and fruit bearing. So I'd invite you to stand and we'll hear from God's word from John chapter 15. John 15, beginning at verse 9. John 15, 9 to 17. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another, as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Have a seat. Remember back, as I was talking about just a moment ago, the first message in the series, we talked a bit about Epiphany and, and the theme of the coming of the light of Christ into the world and how Jesus revealed to us the Father's love. It's a major theme in, in all of John's writing, and we see it here in his gospel as well. He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. And shortly we're going to see that so the, the Father and Jesus' love, Jesus' love for his, his followers, and that that same love is the love that they should have one for another. That's the pattern. The ultimate love is Jesus and the Father. And that love is revealed to us by Jesus' love for his followers. And at least in some sense is fulfilled in our love for one another. You know, we, don't, we don't get to decide what love is based on what our culture tells us and then work up to that, right? Work from that love up to God. We don't get to do that, and we certainly don't get to evaluate God and his love on that basis, but people do this all the time. They, they have this idea of what our culture tells us love looks like, which has a lot to do with, you know, just kind of accepting everybody and that, you know, you do you and, and that sort of thing, just kind of, or it gets watered down into just this generic kind of niceness. We don't get to evaluate God on that, though, as though we can see what we think love is, and then we apply that to God, and we find he's not like that, and so then we decide that we're going to find God wanting. That's getting it all backwards. Understanding what love is doesn't work from what we think and then go up to God. Understanding what love is starts with God and then is revealed to us, comes down to us more about this toward the end of our time together, but it's important that we keep this in mind as we start. We won't get anywhere productive. 
We're going to look at a number of important terms in this passage. Abide, obey, joy, love, fruit. These are all crucial to understand what John and what Jesus is getting at. And in particular, they're, they're crucial if we want to figure out how we can get a handle on loving one another from this text. So the first one, abide. Remain, you might have. But I like, I like the translation abide. I mean, part of that's traditional. But it's not an everyday sort of a word. It seems like it has a certain richness or otherness in there that, that makes it somehow appropriate here. This, this idea that we should abide in Christ, that's something that's going to take some exploring and some unpacking to make a reality in our lives. This is, you, don't, you don't cross abide in Christ. You don't put that on your to-do list for the afternoon and then stroke it off. Oh yeah, I spent an hour abiding in Christ. I guess I'm good forever. No, that's not how this works. If you want to abide in Jesus' love, it's not like one of those mattresses, Andy or, or Douglas, that come shrink-wrapped in the vacuum packaging in the little, the little box that shows up on your doorstep. You know, you can, you can try it out for a certain number of nights, and if you're not absolutely 100% satisfied, you send that thing back. I'd like to figure out how you shrink it back down into the size in which it came to get it sent back, but that's another story. But that's not, that's not what abiding in Christ is like. You don't try it. I'm going to try abiding in Christ for 30 days, and well, if it's not doing it for me, I'm going to kick that to the curb. Right? It's not a thing you cross off your list that you just get done and you never have to revisit it again. It's a long-term, settled commitment. You only realize, some ways anyhow, in hindsight, after a long span of time, Sticking with something long enough to truly love it in that, in that deep and abiding sense takes time, takes commitment. It's, it's like acquiring a skill, like, like some of the musicians we had up here. They, they didn't just pick up the guitar and try it for 30 minutes one day and decide whether they were, you know. It takes time to build skills in any area, and it takes time to learn what it is and be comfortable with abiding in Christ and to experience love in doing that. And it also means sacrifice, because it means rejecting other possibilities that always seem to present themselves, especially they present themselves when the going gets tough and when you're not finding it the most wonderful thing in the world to abide in Christ. So it's not something that happens quickly, and it's not something that happens passively either. There's a way we can fall into the trap of thinking that abiding in Christ it's just, you know, Jesus did all that needs to be done. I'll just, I'll just kick back and rest in that. If he wants to move me or shape me or grow me, he's just, he's going to do that in his own good time, you know? Sometimes, at least in certain corners of our evangelical world, we can become so afraid of doing things in our own strength or legalism or whatnot that we don't, we don't really pursue righteousness and holiness the way the Lord would have us do. As much as we have to look at the New Testament and we have to conclude 100% that we can't save ourselves and that Jesus' death and resurrection accomplished what we could never do for ourselves, we also have to look at the New Testament and conclude 100% that we're called to pursue the new life of Jesus' kingdom with everything that we have. Nothing is worth pursuing more than the call to pursue Jesus' kingdom and the righteousness and holiness that that entails. 
So abiding in Christ involves staying put, staying put with Him, but not just passively staying put. And in a return to my, my earlier illustration about somebody that never gets far from home, you know, that kind of passive staying put is like, like the person who, who just lives and mooches off mom and dad and plays video games in the basement and doesn't, doesn't have a real job and so on and so forth. We all know that stereotype. That's different than the person that just stays in their hometown but contributes positively to the community and raises a family and, and does a lot of, of good and does grown-up things, right? That's an active sort of staying put rather than just a passive one. Abiding in Christ is not passive. You will not coast your way into Christ-likeness. In verse 10, Jesus links abiding in his love with obeying his commands. Ah, you might say, so there, there's the active element. You just gotta, you gotta obey, you gotta do the thing. You're right, sort of. Here's the thing, you remember a few Sundays ago we looked at that text from 1 Peter where he linked being sober-minded or self-controlled with prayer. We kind of talked a little bit about there how it seems like he, he's placing the being sober-minded probably first in order that you can pray. But we also looked at the reality that being a person of prayer will help you become more sober-minded and self-controlled, which will enable you to pray more effectively, which, right, it, it becomes a, a reinforcing cycle, a positive one. And I think we can conclude pretty fairly that we're doing the same sort of thing here. If you obey Jesus' commands, you'll be more likely to abide with him because you'll be less likely to wander off down all the other paths. And, and once we introduce other themes like joy into there, we'll see that these all reinforce one another in abiding with Christ. John does clearly seem to be saying that obedience, though, is a non-negotiable in abiding. But I'm just going to tip my hand here. You know, preparing to preach on a passage from John. John is really interesting, right? Because you have to preach in time, right? I have to say one thing before I can say another thing before I can say another thing. But when you read John, he, he, he kind of goes around in circles and he's a lot more thematic than that. So this is a thing I wrestled with. And so I'm just going to tip my hand a little bit here. Told you near the start, we're going to look at a number of terms. Abide, obey, joy, love, fruit. So here's the thing. Here, here's what I'm going to tip my hand a little bit and, and just sort of tell you where I got to. And it's not going to be that surprising. It's Jesus. What I mean is that we abide in him. We obey his commands. The love we love one another with is his love. The joy we experience in doing so is, is His joy. And the fruit we bear is the fruit that He appointed for us to bear. You, you, you'd think it would be easier to remember this and to practice it, but sometimes it can be so easy to forget. So that means that, yes, while we're obeying directives and, and commandments from Jesus, we're, we're first and foremost obeying Jesus. We're obeying him. We're obeying a, a someone, not just a something, not just a platform, not just a program. Here we get into a curious thing, though. Something I always have to try to be conscious of when, when preaching, especially to a big group. 
those of us who most need to hear about the, the value of, of rules and, and obeying Jesus' commandments are probably going to be the ones who are most likely instead to hear the warnings about legalism. And those of us who most likely need to hear the warnings about legalism, because we're maybe tending too much in that direction, we're going to hear about the value of following the rules and the commands, right? We often hear the thing that kind of confirms where we're already at instead of hearing the thing that might challenge us in the opposite direction. It's that old saying, you know, preaching to the choir kind of thing. But I implore you, you know, don't do that. As you're sitting there, I encourage this as a practice in general. You know, be prayerful about what is it that I need to hear? What is it that's going to challenge me as much as what's just going to reinforce the way I already think? And what's going to challenge me rather than what needs to challenge somebody else in this room? Whether you're tempted to be overly passive or, or overly active or even legalistic in your pursuit of abiding in Christ, remember that it is abiding in Christ, not abiding in a, in a concept or an ideal or a platform. It's abiding in a someone, with a someone. Jesus moves on, so will I. If you obey Jesus' commands, and if you abide in his love, he says that you will experience joy, his joy. That's important to know. It's his joy. So we define that joy according to how he defines it. And it's going to challenge our natural notions of what joy is all about. Because let's remember, where, where are we in the story when Jesus is saying this, right? It's John chapter 15. We're in the, Jesus is saying farewell to his followers. He's about to go this very night and be betrayed and, and handed over to death. And he, here he is talking about that his joy is going to be in his followers and his joy is going to be completed in them. Nevertheless, Jesus said that obeying his commands and abiding in his love should produce joy. It's likely fair to say that this joy then becomes another ingredient in this mutually reinforcing cycle. Joy, obey, abide in Christ. You know, I think our culture knows relatively little about joy. We know a lot about entertainment. We might know something about pleasure. Those are, are short-term and relatively shallow sorts of things. Joy, because it's linked with abiding in Christ, right? That's a longer-term thing. So the kind of joy that he's offering is also going to be a longer-term thing that grows slowly but surely and deeply. It's based less on circumstances and the ups and downs of life. If, if abiding in Christ is a sort of deep and, and settled commitment to stick with Jesus, even when there's other alternatives, joy, it's a, it's a deep and, and settled contentment in being secure in Jesus' love. At the same time, though, I think it's important to point out Maybe you've met some of these people. You know, they, they really want to work hard to distinguish joy from, from happiness. Maybe you've met the type. Kind of goes around with a long Eeyore-like face going, The joy of the Lord is my strength. Joy might not be the same thing as what our culture calls happiness or pleasure, but it's not the same thing as just being a wet blanket about everything either. For our lives of faith and our abiding in Christ and our loving one another doesn't ever get us excited. 
doesn't give us something to celebrate, doesn't get us fired up about anything, about what God's doing in our midst, then we're probably missing the mark in the opposite direction, too. So abide in Christ, obey His commands, find joy. So what does it mean to obey His commands? Well, it means lots of things, but here specifically, once again, what does He say? What's His command? Love one another. Love one another. We keep seeing this, don't we? We can get so wrapped up in, in theological hair-splitting or questions of moral conduct and debatable matters that we miss this. Or we can go, we can go on moral crusades over debatable matters, and especially those that don't actually cost us anything. We're usually, in those, if we're honest, more focused on changing other people to prove that we're right rather than changing other people because it's for their good. We can make a good show of it by telling ourselves you know, love has to be tough and it's, it's not loving to can let people continue in sin. A hundred percent true. But if you're approached to those situations, that is, walking alongside someone in their struggles, doesn't cost you anything in the doing of it, you really have to begin to question how loving your approach is. Right? All along here we've seen that, that love, at least as Jesus defines it, is sacrificial. We see this again today, right? This Again, this talk about being willing to lay down your life for another. Right? If, we, if we want to help someone who's, who's caught up in some struggle with sin, well, look what Jesus did when that was the case for all of us. He sacrificed. It's worth remembering. That's an understatement. And remember where we've been. Our love for one another flows from Jesus' love for us. We can't abide in Jesus without obeying his commands. But if his main command is to love one another, and if that love is actually his love for us, which is actually the Father's love for him, then we can't obey his commands. If his command is to love one another, and we need to love others with the same love he's loved us with, then we have to stay connected with him in order for that love to flow. Follow me? You see how this works? We can't abide without obeying, but we can't obey without abiding, because it's based on love. So what's the result? Fruit. Ah, that great, that great biblical metaphor. Here's the thing. I, I hope we've seen today that all of the things we've been talking about take considerable time. You don't, you don't accomplish abiding in Christ in an afternoon, the way you, you, know, you bake a batch of muffins or, or get a pot of soup ready for the potluck today. You do that in an afternoon. Abiding in Christ is a long process. You don't experience joy, let alone the full or, or complete joy that Jesus is talking about in, in one worship service or one prayer meeting or one service project. And you don't harvest fruit five minutes after you've, you've planted seeds. So what is fruit? Well, it seems to me the scripture speaks of it in, in so many ways that it might be foolish to try to narrow it down to just one thing, right? You know, people talk about converts or or something along those lines. 
But it's worthwhile to see how John, and more importantly, Jesus, is understanding it here. Bearing fruit seems to be intimately connected with loving one another. But it also seems abundantly clear that loving one another, if it's genuine, if we're loving one another with Jesus' love for us, the Father's love for Jesus, if it's flowing, then our loving one another is going to be pointing one another back to abiding in Christ. That's as far as I can tell the ultimate test. If our love is our love for one another, pointing one another back to abiding in Christ, is our loving one another, helping one another abide in Christ more deeply? Because we can do a lot of things that we can say, oh, that's a nice thing, that's a good thing. Our culture kind of loves niceness. But if we're actually looking at Christian love, does it cost anything? And is it helping one another abide in Christ more deeply? Is it constantly pointing us back to Jesus? Is it bringing one another into closer fellowship, not just with one another, but with Him? Is whatever we're doing, encouraging, fostering, fertilizing, we're talking about fruit, greater union with Jesus, and therefore greater growth into His image and likeness? I think that's ultimately what fruit is about. Whatever, however we want to determine that, and Scripture takes it in different directions, but common to all, I would say, is increasing Christ-likeness, personally and corporately. So that's what we need to be looking for, is our obedience, is our joy, is our love for one another, are the results that we're seeing and hoping to see all pointing one another back to increasing Christ-likeness. As I said, friends, we don't love one another just because it's a nice thing to do. It is. But we love one another in order to encourage one another to become increasingly more like Jesus. As with anything, that's a large calling. It can seem so large, perhaps, as to almost be overwhelming. Maybe you've been at this point in your life at one, one stage or another where you've, you've been planning or, or contemplating something that seems really huge, right? What it is that you're going to be when you finish your training. And maybe you, you have some large ambitions, you know, be, become a doctor or something. That, that's, that's a long ways off in the future when you're just graduating from high school, say. Or, or maybe you, you want to start a business, or you want to write a novel, or you want to run a marathon someday, and, and you can imagine in your mind what that might be like, but the thought of actually figuring out how you get there can seem so overwhelming, even though you can kind of clearly see what the thing is. The goal, the result, the fruit, it's, it's far away. It'll require many steps and much effort to get there, just, just like developing an orchard or a vineyard would do. And so, when, when we're faced with these kind of goals, these kind of decisions, we're presented with a couple of different choices, a couple of different ways we could go. Either we can just stay content to dream about these things as, as far-off hopes, or we can take one or two steps, even small ones, to 
toward making it a reality. Here's the thing, we can't love one another if we don't know one another. Maybe you've heard the word at some point, intentional or intentionality, kind of buzzword words. A wise man once told me that we need to get beyond being intentional, right? That is to say, we need to get beyond just good intentions. Intentions are fine, but they can remain entirely future-oriented. We propose that maybe we need to focus more on attention. That is, paying attention to what we're doing now in the present, rather than just planning and dreaming about what we're going to do in the future, but maybe never actually getting around to it. Again, this isn't something you just cross off your list as accomplished in an afternoon. However, I'd like to provide some opportunities even today, even before we all go home, to take a step or two to get beyond just intentions. So we're going to take some time. We're going to pray together in groups. You might have noticed we didn't have a, a corporate prayer time earlier. We want to do that in some groups before we go. You can pray with the people that are around you. You can be really brave and go find somebody you don't even really know that well. Pray with. I, we really encourage us all, let's not just pray about surface-level stuff. As much as we can, let's focus on how this might be a piece or a step toward greater Christ-likeness. So be sure, pray about health needs or work pressures or school or whatever. But find somewhere in there to go a bit deeper. Maybe just ask the question, what would it look like to abide in Christ more deeply in those situations, right? What, what would that settled, contented, confident, sticking with him look like if it was more true of me and more true of one another in the situations that are weighing most on our hearts and on our minds? What would it look like to see greater Christ-likeness there? Pray for those things. Pray for that in those things. And then after that, we'll, we'll conclude our time together, and we'll transition to our meal time out in, in the foyer. But I encourage you to see this, not just as two separate things, but if you're able to stay, see this as a continuation of what we start here. Find a few people, ask how you can pray for someone, share something beyond just weekend plans, seek to be an encouragement. Take this as an opportunity to love one another, and build up your brothers and sisters in Christ. So I'd encourage us to, to gather around, find some people to pray with. Uh, we'll take a few minutes, and then uh, Matt and his team will conclude.